Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. It's the 14th of December, 2016. I'm Benjamin Riley, And I'm Simon Copland. Welcome to Queers. Each episode, we talk our way through questions on a theme, and today we're doing a bit of a year in review. We've been making this podcast for almost a year now. Mm. Uh, and because this is apparently the thing you do at this time of year, as we close out 2016, we decided we wanted to briefly look back at the last 12 months. What has defined the year for queer people? What have been the successes and what have been the challenges? On top of this, we also thought we'd do a bit of a reflection on our 12 months of podcasting, given, you know, we were both fairly new at it when we started, to think a bit more about what we've done well, what we might like to do better, and talk about some ideas for the future. But, Simon, before we do that, let's talk about the year in general. What for you has been the biggest queer event or news story this year, and why? Yeah, so I've been thinking about this, uh, and I think mine is not really a news story or event that I, you know, that I can pin down and be like, this is this one thing that happened. I think for me, it's more of a almost a change in mood within a lot of uh, queer people in Australia and potentially around the world, you know, in Western, in the Western world that I've really noticed that I think started before this year, but that has really become emphasised um, in 2016. Um, I think there's been a lot of attacks on queer people this year that we have to acknowledge. So the stuff on um, a lot of right-wing backlash. So the mm. stuff on safe, safe schools in Australia, the plebiscite, but also in the United States, there's been the bathroom laws, and we're seeing increasing stuff in, in places like Russia and, and the Eastern world uh, that, you know, that is that is really worrying. Um, what, what's been interesting for me is seeing how the mood has changed, how, how that has affected the mood within queer communities, and what I'd say is a sort of increasingly maybe downbeat position that I think... Um, I'm seeing more and occurring more and more. And so part of that for me has been a, a natural reaction to people feeling under attack, um, you know, that people are really struggling uh, and seeing a lot of bad things happening or, or, or seeing a lot of attacks coming out, coming our way and, and um, becoming ne- very negative about it. But I think also part of it uh, has become a bit self reinforcing um, and, you know, for me, the biggest thing that's happened this year has been a shift in some perceptions uh, where instead of 
fighting uh, or, you know, I think maybe the best way to say it is that we used to think, we used to sort of talk about progress being inevitable and having this really forward-looking approach to things. And that was a mood that I felt amongst queer people that I, that I spent time with. That perception, I think, has now changed a lot. Um, part of it for good reason. Part of it, I think, because we've taken the attacks and we've made it this self-referential thing where we've become um, really downbeat about ourselves and about our future. And I think that that's a, that's an interesting and worrying trend that I'm, that I'm noticing. Mm. I mean, it's, it's funny because I, the, the second question that you, you'd written down uh, for us to discuss was, um, and I'm I'm sure we'll go into this a bit more specifically, but have things gotten worse for people over, for queer people over the last 12 months? And, it's part of the reason it's such a difficult question to answer is that I totally agree with you. I mean, there has been this kind of this shift in uh, in mood that's really difficult to um, I don't know. I, f- I feel like because of the I don't know social media in in a lot of ways that it's almost like there's this kind of increasing disconnection between like discourse and. Um, I don't know, like our day-to-day lives. Mm. And so, you know, I think we, we're in this situation where, you know, for a lot of people maybe, um, you know, things haven't really changed that much at all in terms of their experience of, of the world day-to-day. But, and this is, I would say this is true for me, uh, but, you know, I, I, I feel a part of this kind of quite sort of often violent and... and um, toxic kind of discourse and rhetoric in the media and in social media and, you know, I would say largely on the internet that certainly makes... It's, it's not that that's not real because, it, it you know, it, it is. It um, does have an impact, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. But it's it's um, it, it, it's kind of, it kind of takes on a life of its own. Mm. I think that's what I've been noticing as well. And, and, and I think that, you know, I said before, it, it has an impact. So I understand it um, and I understand that having an impact on people and, and making people, you know, str- making people struggle. And, and it's really hard to see this stuff playing out in the media and playing out in the, you know, in, in public discourse. Um, what's different for me, though, is that, you know, growing up queer, I've seen this throughout, you know, my entire life. What's different to me, though, is some of the reactions to it. So, yes, it's it's it makes people you know it's 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 tough to see that kind of stuff but as a broader i guess community and we've had debates about what a community is but as a broader community or that maybe the mainstream organizations that i see who are working on these sorts of issues on queer issues have taken a far more negative approach to it as a it's sort of like a uh, an approach that says you know every time you're doing this you're hurting us rather than an approach that says you're being ridiculous, and we're going to stand up and fight back against you. Um, and mm. that's it's a, it's almost been a retreat, and that and that really worries me, and 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 makes me worried for the future because I think that that retreat is getting stronger and stronger, where we're sort of sort of getting in closer, but also I guess, and I, this is a difficult thing to say, but um, you know, it's it's taking on that sort of victimhood mentality quite a bit, uh, and that I see quite strongly. And there are obviously examples where people, queer people are victims of violence and I'm not denying that, that experience. But for people like you and me, for example, and people I know who are in the space who are just like you and me where, where the physical reality has not changed um, but are becoming, are taking on more of that victimhood mentality and that, and that worries me because I think that one of the strongest, that one of the best things about 
queer communities um, is a sense of resilience, is a sense that, you know, we have been under attack for all, you know, for all of our existence, but we bond together and we have resilience uh, and we fight back and that we bond together as a community. And I'm worried that, that this year we've seen some breakdown of that. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, I feel like, I don't know, I think about like sort of this in terms of mental health often, you know, that we mm, have... Mm. Um, discourses in our community about the relationship between um, experiences of homophobia and and kind of the existence of homophobic discourse and rhetoric in a in a more uh, general sense rather than specific experiences of directed homophobia as something that has a negative impact on our mental health but um, God this is such a hard thing to talk about isn't it because it's mm. It's like so. <laughs> you don't want to deny people's experience of absolutely like having a shit time, but at the same time, I I feel like we, I don't know, uh, I'm so worried this is going to come across the wrong way, but sometimes I feel like we sort of fetishize that, like fetishize our suffering in a way, um, I, I in a way that is what you're saying. certainly new for me. Um, and I, and yeah, that does kind of make me uncomfortable. I think it, it, it's tied in, in a lot of ways to the, this like insane kind of rise in tribalism, um, this year, not just with queer people, but like, you know, around the world, I think that the kind of two big major political, um, events in the West this year that characterize that are obviously, you know, Brexit and the US yep. election. And both of those are really kind of marked by this um, change in rhetoric on uh, more, I would say more so on the left than on the right about t- making everything a kind of us and them thing, mm, mm. you know. And this and this has been a year where we, you know, queers and others have been talking much more openly about identity politics, for example, in a way mm. that initially I had hoped was perhaps a path towards something quite constructive, but has, I think, quite quickly, and particularly over the last kind of month or so since the US election, become just another thing to reinforce that tribalism. You know, I see people say things all the time online, like, you know, if you are critical of identity politics, you're racist, yep, basically. Yep. Um, yeah. and it's like, you just can't, you can't really do anything with that. I think what's been particularly conserv- uh, concerning for me about that tribalist thing as well, um, has been that it's, it's, it's from, from my perspective and, and, and the plebiscite debate plays into this quite a bit. Um, from my perspective, a lot of it has been us queers against the, the bigoted masses of the general population who are out to get us. Mm. Uh, and that has been played out in Brexit in the Brexit debate of the, the dumb working class who just didn't understand what was good for them. And, sure, and then, sure. in, you know, in, in the United States, it was the same thing. It was all the, the racists, you know, the racist white men and the racist white women who just hate hate um, hate people of colour and hate Hispanic people and hate black people and hate women and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so it's sort of pitting ourselves against this big, you know, bigoted masses out there. Um, and and I see that discourse coming in, uh, becoming stronger and stronger. And if you dare criticise or you dare criticise identity politics, you dare try to say, you know, let's actually think about why people were voting in these kinds of ways. Let's think about what it is that's pushing people in that kind of way. Um, let's do some analysis of that. 
you sort of ended up being labelled as being one of those bigoted people as well, or excusing bigoted behaviour. Uh, and I don't think that's particularly helpful, and I don't think it's particularly useful. Um, no, and... and I think that, you know, it's that line between, like, acknowledging people's uh, pain and, and hurt, but I feel like there's, you know, the, then kind of atta- attacking people, you know, I feel like that's mm. like a different... It's like a, a line, you know. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I'm interested to go back to the to the mental health thing quickly because I was really interested in what you said about that and I thought I wanted to touch on that because I 100% agree when you said that we sort of uh, almost fetishize mental health experience, you know, mental, uh, mental health problems with amongst queer people. Um, and one of the things that I was thinking about when you said that as well was I think a lot of the discourse that has really concerned me has been discourse that has been basically saying along the lines of if you are queer you will inevitably have a mental health problem um and sort of just accepting that as a fact almost rather than trying to fight against it and that's obviously and that's obviously a kind of i mean you know it's kind of funny because you know you and i are both queers with mental health problems yeah yeah. um but it's it's also like that's that's clearly a self-fulfilling prophecy i mean you know this isn't like it's not even about agency. It's just that, like the you know the way that we think about ourselves does contribute to um, our experience of mental illness. I mean, not it's mm-hmm. not solely a thing. I don't want to be some like kind of mindfulness bullshit person where it's like you can control your own like mental illness. I don't think <laughs> I don't think that's true. But you know, there's a degree to which it's true. Like it's mm. it's definitely your own kind of attitude is part of a complex tapestry of things that that informs your your health and well-being generally. But I think it's also, the, and this goes back to the thing I was talking about, about resilience in the community, mm. is I think that one of the best ways to ward against mental health problems within the queer community is to build resilience within our community or within people, you know, within queer people. So having a situation where, for example, queer person A gets kicked out of home, you know, they lose their family, which is clearly going to be something that will create major mental health problems and is clearly still an issue the solution, you know, part of the solution to that is the ability for people to go into, into, you know, we, you know, a lot of people talk about their chosen family, about having, having a community that they can find support in. And I fear that our discourse has disconnected that very strongly. Um, and what we're doing instead is saying, well, of course, you're going to be, ment- you have a mental health problem. Um, that's what being queer is about. Um, and not saying, well, you know, what we, you know, we're a resilient community, that one that can fight against this and can work as a community to to fight against it. Um, I think that that has broken down very strongly because, and, and I think that it's, it's all done, been done for political points as a way to sort of ward against the attacks that have been occurring to places like safe schools and on the plebiscite and all of that sort of stuff, we have these political point scoring saying you're you're going to you know kill queer people, um, but in doing so we've not actually we've sort of lost a really important part of our own resilience and our own community building, whether or not that existed or not you know, in the past that's a debate you and I might have, um, but you know we've lost at least a part of that discourse that gives people hope almost when they are in those situations. You know I mean, that we, there is a... we, you know we've also lost the structures that would have like it's not just about discourse it's about kind of real sort of mm. material community structures that would support people in yeah, times yeah. of crisis um that are that are disappearing and there's there's a kind of you know sad um irony i guess to the fact that you know we we are talking more about 
our experience of mental illness as queer people than we ever have before, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. And yep. yet we're, you know, we, we kind of sit here and, and, and blindly, um, I don't know if we, we ignore the dissolution of community, but we're, we're certainly kind of complicit in it. My, if I think about my own experience of, um, of seeking support for mental health issues from within the queer community, I mean, I have not had particularly positive experiences mm. in that regard. I mean, you know, so I suppose what I'm saying is that this discourse about us being at risk of mental illnesses, in my experience at least, has not translated into us better being able to support each other. Yeah, and I, I know that you and I have had different experiences of that, and I had a very positive experience as a teenager. Fine, but you know that was that was a luck thing where I had parents who were willing to. Sure, to but I suppose I'm talking about like quite. Were, I'm talking about quite um, recently, like. Yeah, like... yeah, but I think that my experience in more recent term times would be less. Um, because I don't really have access to community. What you know, I, my community is not within a queer community necessarily. But um, what was I going to say? I think that part of the big issue for me is that it, it's become mental health has become more of an individualized problem within queer communities. I think, and so this goes into a lot of the stuff I talked about just before about it. It you know, it's sort of the expectation that you will have a mental health problem um, and that that a lot of talk about, you know, the ability to get mental, you know, to, to get um, access to treatment and all that sort of stuff, which is obviously really important, but it very much individualizes the, the problem and it doesn't create any community solutions to it, uh, which I think from my perspective and, you know, sort of this is going to so the stuff you were saying about, you know, the the ability to, you know, it's, it's very much in a... Um, individualized neoliberal approach to mental health that just says you have to fix it by yourself um, and that community doesn't play a role in either creating mental health problems or helping you fix them. And I think that that's where, the, where, where a lot of our discourse in the queer community around mental health is going and that, that really worries me. Well, and it's a, it reflects that shift that we've talked about before from thinking of queer as... from community to demographic, I guess... Mm. You know that that our our queerness is not a kind of site for uh, I don't know actual experience. It's a like a kind of day to day experience. It, it's just a kind of symbolic sort of I don't know like marker that means that we are more or less likely to be X Y or Z. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah when that, the, when it the... kind of abstracts, you know, the the idea of of queerness. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree with you on that. So anyway, we've we've been talking for ages about what my big topic of the year was. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean that's partly kind of what I want to talk about as well. The the only this is going to be given how um deep we've gone into this, I guess this <laughs> might seem like a bit of a um a left turn, but in terms of like actual specific events rather than the sort of uh, shifts in mood that we're talking about. I guess that the thing for me that really impacted me in a in a way that I was taken really by surprise, that really took me by surprise this year was the uh, Orlando shooting. Of course, um, I I kind of am not someone who has particularly strong emotional reactions to things to kind of news stories. Mm -mm. Um, I think, you know, for all sorts of reasons, I think my anxiety kind of, it kind of plays into that in part. And also 
I I find, you know, online and digital media because it provides this kind of onslaught of like pathos, I guess, from people on social media, for example, I find like I just um I don't know, something about that feels really unreal to me. And so it, it sort of makes... I, f- I find it really difficult to engage with on, on an emotional level when I have all these people in my face on, like, Twitter and Facebook kind of being really kind of performatively sad about mm. stuff. And that's not to say that that's not kind of real on some level. I suppose it's just not something that I can really relate to. And that, in and of itself, contributed to, to I think, how I responded to, to what happened in Orlando in that I was just kind of numbed to it for a bit and and didn't... I just remember literally not posting anything on any social media account for about two weeks because I, I didn't... I just, like, didn't have anything to say, you know? Like, I... There's just, like, nothing that I can really contribute to commentary about something so horrific and doing so would feel to me... Again, I don't want to kind of judge other people's responses. Doing so would feel to me to be this uh, empty and purely performative act Mm. that I wouldn't really be... It wouldn't feel... It wouldn't have felt real to me. And yet, at the same time, I felt this kind of desperate need to just, like, I don't know, call... And, I, you know, I did did this, to just call queer friends and tell them that I love them and, you know, just respond in that kind of just very... On that very basic level of kind of you know, love and care and empathy. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, It's fascinating to me because when we were doing this, I I didn't actually think about the Orlando shooting, but I do remember it very clearly, as I think everybody does. Um, I think part of me did exactly what you did. I don't you know, for, you know, I I went, I I remember, if, if I remember. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. Oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. remember correctly, the first news of the shooting sort of came in late at night um, on a Saturday and then it was the Sunday morning where it was really clear. And I remember seeing it late at night on Saturday and having that exact reaction that you had of just um, sort of just seeing a news story and just seeing it as a news story, right? And then just 
um, you know, sort of moving on. And then on Sunday, it sort of hit me about what what was what had actually happened. And I guess I think what hit me was seeing the reactions from so many people about it, and sort of really taking in in taking in the the real emotions that people were feeling, and 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 um, and how it was affecting people I knew and I loved quite deeply. Uh, and uh, and that was a really tough tough week. I remember that being very very quite tough. Um, and and having to sit and and I think you know I think there was an important political element to it of, of sitting and watching you know this debate. I you know I, I I hate I wish I wish in events like this you could have like a twenty four hour social media black blackout. Yeah. You know where nobody posts anything. It's just you know everyone take a breather for a moment and 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 and. And deal with stuff before you write your commentary piece, before you write your, For you know, sure. your snap Facebook post. Because I think that that having that moment would be really nice to allow us to actually just absorb what what had happened. And I and I had a similar situation where I I did take some time to actually go well, you know, I you know need to absorb this before I can actually even formulate any thoughts about it because it was it was quite intense. Um, and I did, I, I ended up writing something about it, but it took me about a week to be able to do that. Um, just so I could, you know, sit back and really engage with it and, and, and think about the, the, the awful thing that had happened. Um, and, and sort of to be able to watch other people's reactions, I think was really important into the way to sort of gauge with the, with the depth of emotion that was going on around that. It was a really important event, I think. Mm. And I, I think, um, and this for me, isn't just something that happens around, uh, queer stuff, but just generally, I I often feel very uh, if if you know if I could think of a kind of word to describe my experience of 2016 as a whole and in a way that is absolutely kind of typified by um, what happened after the shooting in Orlando, it's kind of alienation. Mm. You know, I I. I just feel so alienated by the kinds of responses that I see on social media to events like that. I felt exactly the same after the US election. I felt the same after Brexit. You know, I mean, the weird things to weird things to compare, but yeah, I I just find it really difficult to relate to that sort of. Um, my instinct when I feel awful about something is just never to post angrily about it on social mm. media. Like it, it's just never my instinct. And, and I, on one level, I like, of course I want to respect people's responses, but particularly given how just kind of vile the discourse can be around a lot of these things. I, yeah, I just feel very alienated, you know. I, yeah. I I find it difficult to um connect to how other people are feeling. Yeah, that's I totally understand and appreciate that. I don't know how I feel at the end of 2016. Um I think that it's interesting we've talked about the mood within queer communities around a uh, sort of a really uh, uh, a dampening mood, I guess, is the only way I can describe it that I've that I've really noticed over the last year, and one that I I really worry will continue on into twenty seventeen. I think that as I think about it, I think that that is uh, represented in a broader community, at least in the communities that you and I would engage in. Um, maybe not in the communities that love Donald Trump, but in the communities that you know you and I engage would engage in would see a, see that sort of stuff 
around where I see a lot of people who are who are who are in that sort of like fuck 2016 I can't wait until it's over kind of mindset um you know I'm going to and I'm kind of looking forward to it um, at the you know my the new year's party that I'm going to um this year the the theme is come and dress up as something that has died or been lost in 2016 oh, you know Jesus. which is which is quite intense but it's you know it's, it's gonna be funny it's gonna be, gonna be the opportunity but like you know it's it, it, it highlights to me some of the mood that is going on in the community at the moment of parts of the community at the moment which is you know this year has been terrible has been the perception and i and i and i'm i'm intrigued really really intrigued about how much of that is perception and how much of that is material reality you know there have been some bad things that have happened this year 100 percent. have those bad things been worse than what happened in years gone past i uh, don't know and, and and has you know and has you know other positive things that have happened you know, going back to queer communities, has a lot, of, a lot of positive things that have haven't been overlooked um, because of some sort of mood. And then, if that is the case, then what is it that's creating this mood that I think is permeating within queer communities and within broader communities as well? Sure, sure. I mean, um, I've, I've thought about this quite a lot as well. I think um, my, uh, you know, as a, a a very sort of critical person, and I guess I don't know, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to call myself a pessimist because I feel like you know, my my uh, pessimism is sort of based in, in reality, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, my instinct is always to kind of go, well, you know, the world's shit and, like, I don't think it's any more shit. Like, it's you know, it's been on a kind of shitty trajectory for quite a while now and this is just representative of that. But I think 2016 has been different in that there have been a few really symbolically potent events that have changed dis- the nature of um, dis- political discourse just in the world generally. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I mean, and I think those those two things are, are um, Brexit and, and the US election. Absolutely. I think, uh, like, whether or not either of those things, and I, I think they probably are, just reflective of, of uh, factors that were already present, the fact that nobody thought either of those things could happen and they did... Um, has had a very real impact on the way that we talk about politics mm. now. And I think in Australia, um, the, pleb- the plebiscite discussion has been has been that. Um, sorry, the plebiscite discussion and the attacks on the Safe Schools Coalition, I think, have, have genuinely increased the level of you know, anti-queer vitriol at the very least in the kind of news cycle mm-hmm. in a way that we haven't seen before and and or, or certainly not um in the last decade yeah. um and whether that you know i think there are absolutely lots of amazing things that have happened um you know like i and the, i could you know access to kind of um like hormones and things for trans people has like improved dramatically over the past year in australia access to things like prep um, the HIV prevention has improved dramatically. You know, there are um, a bunch of things like that that are very kind of real sort of gains that make a big impact on the day-to-day lives of queer people in this country, at least. And those things could absolutely be better and, you know, we're, we're fighting for those things to be better. But, you know, it's that kind of... Yeah, there, there are some big symbolic shifts that have really had real impacts. 
maybe to end this discussion or if you, you can say something else after if you want i think um what's been interesting for me is I, I agree that brexit and trump in particular have had a major impact this year and have really had a look at you know i think it's made a lot of people really have to to inspect what is going on in the world and what is the mood of the world at this point of time i think that what's interesting to me is that i you know if you looked at it, I think that these things could have been predicted um, a lot more. At least the general mood could have been predicted um, a lot more. And I think that there sure, is a failing, sure. failing in many in the left in particular to not have been able to to um, to, to 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 predict it. And, and the same with backlash against queer communities or queer, um, you know, the sort of the inevitable right wing backlash that was going to come from the the decades or you know a couple of decades of progress that we've seen in the last you know recently. That, that inevitable backlash was going to occur. Um, what what has been a failing has been us not being able to prepare for it and not being able to harness some of that energy that has been that has been harnessed very well by people like Donald Trump and and the Brexit folk and Pauline Hanson in Australia, which I think could actually be harnessed in, di in different directions. It's just that we've done a very poor job of that. And the lesson for 2016 for me is, you know, how do we harness an anti-establishment mood? How do we harness a you know uh, that kind of stuff? You know, which I think is you know something that we we can do. And how do we make sure it's not directed towards queers? You know, that that, that mood is not directed towards queers because it was it's it was inevitable. It's it was coming, uh, and we need to figure out. You know, instead of bunkering down, we need to figure out how do we harness it in the right you know in, a, in the mm -hmm. direction that not the right direction, the direction that we that we that we that suits us, I guess. Totally, and right. I, you know, I think. This is kind of this is a much much bigger question than kind yeah. of just than queer stuff. Um, you know, this is about the fact that the world's, uh, you know, the kind of Western countries don't currently have a strong kind of an ideologically strong left. Mm. You know, it just kind of doesn't exist. You know, we can't we don't really have a hope of sort of harnessing anything. Yeah, yeah, and th and that is the thing that. I think has occurred is that we we have seen the inevitable outcome of a neoliberal agenda that has seen you know dropping wages and, and increasing people feeling alienated from the political system and the right has been able to harness that energy very well and the left has done a very very poor job of doing that because there is no strong ideological left in most of the western world at this point of time um and that is you know a challenge i guess mm. yeah and i think within queer communities we uh i mean i like i just can't see like I, I just come back to identity politics. Like we, mm. we just, we just have to ditch it. You know, like we've just got to, <laughs> we've just got to get past it. We've got to find some way to get past it because I just cannot see any of this changing while we are so hamstrung by this bullshit. Yep, hundred percent agree with you. Maybe at that point, because I think that that is a good place to end. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to do a quick reflection on the podcast? You know, let's, yeah, let's end yeah. on a bit of a positive. That's been a bit of a deep conversation. Let's, you know, what do you think? Bit of a down you know, how do you, let's, let's, you know, how do you think we've gone? Uh, oh, I mean, it's been a lot of fun. I think, uh, you know, the, there are things I think, there have been kind of steep learning curves, like learning how to, like, record and produce a podcast, for example. Um has has been a challenge and and something that I um, absolutely hope we will continue to get better at. Yep. Um. You know we've we've talked a lot about investing in in better equipment so we can improve the sound quality. 
Um, so that's something that we want to do uh, in the next year. Um, we've also talked a lot about promotion. You know, it's it, a lot of this stuff is challenging just because, you know, Simon and I are both very busy people. Um, and so all of that stuff just takes um, takes time and it, it takes money. So that's um, that's something that we really... Uh, we really want to do more of. I mean, something also that I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, I would love to to figure out a way to do more of in the future is, is to somehow kind of incorporate um, views and responses from listeners into the podcast itself. Um, mm. You know, make it a bit more of a sort of uh, dialogue in some ways, but I'm not quite sure what that would look like. Yeah, I mean, we had this discussion a little while ago. Um, I, I, I think, you know, look, it's been a year. I think we're doing, you know, from my perspective, we're doing a pretty good job. Um, you know, and it, and it has been that steep learning curve from when we sort of, well, I guess we sort of technically started in 2000, uh, what, 2000, you know, two, last year. 14. When we did a few, you 14, know, 15. 15, yeah. 15 we did, oh, did a few. I was like, what year is it now? We were just talked about <laughs> 2016. Um, when we did, you know, a couple of practice episodes. But this year we sort of really dived in. Um, and that technical stuff has been really good. And, you know, you doing all of the editing so far has done like an excellent job. And I'm looking forward to learning about that so that we can, you know, share that load. Um, I think that you're right about the, um, you know, how do we, how do we represent, you know, the, 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 how do we represent, you know, get other views and incorporate that into the space. I think that what could be useful and, you know, I'd be interested to hear some listeners feedback on this is, you know, we're not the kind of podcast that is going to do, let's do an episode on blah, blah, insert identity bracket mm. um, issue here. Um, and I don't think that's ever going to be us. And I think that we were designed not to do that. Um, so, you know, that's 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 a challenge for us in terms of, well, it's just a thing that we're going to, we're not going to do. Um, so, you know, in, the, in that situation, we're not going to go, okay, let's do insert blah, blah, identity bracket here. So let's get someone from that identity to come and talk on the show. Yeah, um, yeah. I think there will be opportunities instead to actually go, you know, let's think about people we might actually want to get on the show. You know, I think we did a great job. You did a great job with um, the interview you did while you're in South Africa. I think, you know, brought on a different voice onto the show that I thought was really valuable. Um, I think being able to do that, you know, either interviews or having people come on and just join us, you know, in a conversation about a topic that we're going to do one week that they are an expert in, no matter what their identity fact, you know what their identity position is, will be a way to increase some of the representation and get some more diverse views, and also challenge ourselves, I guess. Um, so it's not just you and I bouncing off each other and agreeing with each other in furiously all the time. <laughs> totally, I um, my partner has certainly said to me that um, he is surprised at how similar our political views are. So that's something that would be nice to change. I mean, that's also a kind of good segue into a um, in something into something that I wanted to talk about, which was uh, mm. some feedback that I recently got from a listener who's uh, uh, a, a friend of mine um, who is a... Uh, I think she identifies as a, a bisexual woman. I'm not sure. Um, she said that she was disappointed in a kind of what she saw as a, a lack of um i guess representation of women and and things specifically relating to women on on the podcast and and she and i had a, a good sort of back and forth about this because it's something that we Simon and i think about a lot not just in terms of women but like what um you know 
how do you incorporate representation and diversity into a show that in, is in a lot of ways an explicit rejection of identity politics yeah. is something that's that's a real challenge. I think something that, from my perspective, at the very least, is um, something that we we probably do do and and we should be very careful of and and I'd like to to avoid is is you know presenting obviously Simon and I are, are gay men um we would certainly never claim explicitly to be representative to be able to speak on behalf of anyone other than ourselves really let yep. alone kind yep. of all gay men um yep. but I guess particularly given the the breadth of the topics we talk about and the name of the podcast even there's absolutely i acknowledge a kind of risk that we could be selling this specific perspective as somehow the perspective of all queer people mm -hmm. that's something we would never want to do and um it's certainly not what's happening in our heads but i get that that is a a problem and and certainly a perception that people could have so you know i guess from my perspective, the, the challenge, as you said, Simon, is to, to find ways to bring new viewpoints from all sorts of people into the podcast. Interviews are a way of doing that. Having guests is a way of doing that. But the, particularly the guest thing poses a range of technical challenges that we'll have to <laughs> sort of figure out quite how to um, Three -way how to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure it's not it's not going to be too too difficult. It's just not really something we've um, we've attempted. Um, but absolutely kind of open to feedback about this kind of thing. Maybe even something like, um, like, like letters, like, I don't know, like we have some sort of, um, I mean, we could do something like set up an email account specifically for the show and, and that could be a way of kind of answering questions if that's something, I don't know. There are, I, th I think yeah, there are yeah. a bunch of different options. Yeah, I, I think that's good. And I think I'd be interested to hear, you know, any listeners who know either Ben or I, um, and, you know, given that we don't have a public space that you can contact us currently, but, you know, if you'd like to email us or tweet us or Facebook us, you, we, we sort of put those things at the end of the podcast every day, every time, you know, I'd be interested to hear some feedback about how you think we're going and, and what you think we could do in, in, in our next year because we continue to we intend to continue on and we'd like to you know hear what you know how you think we're going we've had some good feedback I'd love to hear some other feedback you know well, hopefully it's all good you know relatively good feedback but you know <laughs> I'd love to hear some other ideas you know other ideas about you know what we can do and what we can do to improve um, so that you know so we can make it a better podcast and one that's more engaging and more representative um, whilst keeping its core. Like, like I don't, you know, I think that that's important. I think there is a lot of, you know, we, we should probably have a discussion about representative representation politics one time. Um, you know, we've sort of touched on that quite a bit, but, you know, um, we still want to keep our core, you know, which is a rejection of identity politics in many ways and a challenge to that. Um, but we can also be more representative in the, in the approach we take to that core, you know, and that I think could be really good for us. It could be really challenging for us and it could be good, for, good for the podcast as a whole. Mm. And there's just, you know, as a rule, I think, uh, being challenged on our, our views is, is a good thing. Yep, Exactly. Uh, well, we might we might wrap it up there. It ended up being a, a more in depth uh, discussion than I was expecting, but that's that's probably good. So, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, it's been we've had some really amazing responses to the show, and and we're always kind of astonished by the number of people that that uh, that listen to and and download the show uh, every episode. So that's really really great. We will be back next year, which is a weird thing to say. Um, new episodes uh, in in twenty seventeen. 
Yeah, yeah, another year of queers. That will be really exciting. Um, but in the meantime, you know, if you've got a Christmas break and you want to catch up with our, all, our, all our episodes, go to queers.podomatic.com or subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, and, you know, we're going to say this every time and, you know, really drill it in. Please leave us a review and rating. It's not just good for our little egos. It actually helps other people sh- find the show. Uh, also, just like tell people about the shows. Also, yeah. <laughs> it's also good um, if you if you have friends that you think um, w- would be interested. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter in the meantime. I'm at Ben C Riley, and I'm at Simon Copland. And please also go and catch me on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer. And given it's that time of the year, happy holidays and have a very good New Year. 